Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Last Action Hero, the film that was far ahead of its time. The film stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Jack Slater, a Los Angeles police detective within the Jack Slater action film franchise, while Austin O'Brien co-stars as Danny Madigan, a boy magically transported into the Slater universe, and Charles Dance as Mr. Benedict, a ruthless assassin from the Slater universe who escapes to the real world. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, this is a... This is quite a meta film. Uh, I think one of the things that looking up the uh, the people involved, John McTiernan is the director of this film, who, if for those who don't know, is the guy who created Die Hard. Uh, he was sorry, he was the director of Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard is a quite a storied history, but he was he was like your go to for an action director. Um, throughout the 90s uh, and late 80s, like all the way up until fairly recently. Um, and for a film that's kind of a meta commentary on the action hero of the action movie fra- uh, uh, genre, there's probably only a handful of directors you could have gotten at this time. Uh, John McTinnan, James Cameron and like people of that ilk. And yeah, uh, I think his touch really helps this whole film. Oh yeah. He's, he's the perfect person. I mean, this film came out in 93, 88 was Die Hard. In 1990, he did The Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man in 92. And didn't he also direct the first Predator film? He did. Yeah. And he also did Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> so there you go. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, it's like, the best I had. Yeah, yeah, he had, he had like the touch when you wanted like an everyman action hero, um, or just I don't know, just a, a way of producing that action. When I think of like '90s action movies, this guy's resume is like a large portion of them, and uh, and they work really well, um, which skipping forward into the movie. There's a scene where they've kind of made already made a few jokes about how suddenly the scenery changes and like, oh, the film set because they've moved from location to like backlot. And there's that kind of meta commentary on like the like how a movie works in terms of production and the design and why and aesthetic. If you're clued in, you can pick these things up. But it's actually a scene when the villains rock up at Slater's wife's house where his daughter's there and uh, uh, Danny is there and what happens he kicks a gun out of a guy's hand it lands in the kitchen and they make sure to see that shot and everything that happens the communication like hey there's money in that drawer because it was counterfeit and it burns differently because he knows that they'll one someone will know it's wrong and destroy it all the all the bits and props of what is going to be the action beat sequence that happens in like and um, in, in the next two minutes are all set up, ready to go. Even though like the the misdirector of who's going to be at the front door 
was when they first rock up. It all it's all placed. This is all like script writing 101. Chekhov's gun. You don't introduce something that you're not going to use. So every little line of dialogue, it's all actually like a mini slice. This is how you break down scenes in Hollywood and how you tell them to be fulfilling. And it's all done. And John McKinnon knows this because he does it for a living. Well, he's the guy. Yeah. Again, perfect director and perfect star. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger, this is the first movie where he was also a producer. So he had a lot of creative input on this movie. I mean, I I love this film. I've got to be honest. And (laughs) it's an interesting one because, you know, I grew up on Arnie movies. And when I was younger and, you know, watching Terminator, Commando, all these films, I didn't know at that age that this was a satire of action films playing up all the cliches. I was just watching it as another Arnie movie. Yes, there was an animated talking cat voiced by Diane DeVito, but I just went with it. I didn't watch yeah, it yeah. as like something different to everything else that he'd done, but it really, it really is something special. And again, ahead of its time, I mean, this came out in 93. If this had come out later on, I think it had done a lot better. I mean, that the acting pedigree is there. I mean, one of the writers on this film, Shane Black, Guy responsible yeah. for Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah. Um, not just and Predator. <laughs> yeah, well, he's in previous well, films. An actor in the first Predator, but he did direct The Predator, and I believe he was a writer on that as well. Because of his involvement, I had high hopes for that movie. It was a bit of a disappointment. But then yeah. years later, we got Prey, and we like Predator again. So that's, that's all right. Yeah. But also, he did two of my best favourite films, uh, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and The Nice Guys. Yeah, The Nice Guys, yeah. Two two great films. Yeah, Val Kilmer is so good in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. (laughs) That is great. Yeah, and that's the sort of pedigree. Like, when you have these guys who are genre fans themselves, I mean, they, they have to be in order to make the movies they've made as well as they make. Like, and that's what it takes cast a british villain of course you cast a british villain <laughs> the the satirical nature of the the mob in this film like uh english is his second language so he mixes his metaphors yeah which uh, constantly frustrates <laughs> mr benedict's played by charles dance yeah and then when they're at uh the that mafia funeral Everyone has guns, including the nuns, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. priests, the old ladies. They're like, yeah, of course, of course. yeah. It's this, this the mafia. They're all, they're all, they're all, uh, they're all carrying heat. Like, of course they are. It, it's all, it's oh yeah. I I love it so much. Um, and yeah, every no, time I rewatch too. it, I get more out of it because I'm noticing more of what they intended. Exactly. No, I'm the same because again, like going back to when I first viewed it, I was just. Another action movie is another Arnie movie. And then over the years and just understanding more about what they're actually doing. And yeah, this again is a movie that works on so many levels. And as you say, they're just getting something more from it. Each time you come back to it, it's just, it really does warrant 
repeat viewing. And honestly, Charles Dance in this, whenever I see him in anything, I think of this movie with the Same. smiley face, pupil or eyeball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and know, the target eyeball. The and- target eyeball. You know, he said in interviews that after being told he'd won the part because Alan Rickman turned it down because the salary um, wasn't what he wanted. Dance then wore a T-shirt on set which read, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman, which I think <laughs> is, is hilarious. Well, I mean, we'd already had Die Hard and then this. I mean, he definitely is an Alan Rickman-type English villain. But I really like what we're getting from Dance here. But let's talk about, let's go back to 93 and how it was actually received. This film failed to meet the studio's expectations at the box office and was both a critical and commercial disappointment. But the film did later find commercial success with its VHS release, establishing itself as a cult classic. This is a movie that had a budget of 85 million, box office 137.3. Yeah, that's a big budget for a 90s movie as well. It is, but do you know what? I read this earlier, that they they shot final scenes for the movie a week before its theatrical release. What? That's how close they cut it. And it's also what blew up the budget. I mean, yeah, I don't know the- what Arnie's salary would have been, but you'd imagine that it'd have been a bit on scale with being a producer. It's something he's really passionate about making. Because I would have thought he, that part of that would also be taking part of the back end and to lower his fee. Yeah, well, that, that's what, yeah. I mean, maybe that's what he did. But maybe they did, looking- though, because that wasn't a thing at the time. And oh, he was true. the biggest thing at the time. It was massive. It was massive. I mean, this is, I mean, what was Terminator 2, 92? The year before, yeah. Yeah. So from that to this, but what I'm saying though, with that budget, like if you keep in mind how close they came between finishing, like locking the picture, finishing it, and then releasing it, those last minute changes or whatever they were needing to do would be costly because mm. time was against them. So it wasn't, yeah, anyway, it, the budget and they filmed in LA as well. These days, that would have been filmed in Vancouver to keep the budget lower, right? Um, yeah, because filming in LA that LA exists because everyone used to film in LA because it's sunny all the time. That's why Los Angeles and Hollywood exist. That's where all the studios were built in like the 20s and 30s and stuff, and that's the whole logic behind it all. But then when the, you needed to block off streets to do filming in LA, which had also become like quite a large financial sector, you couldn't do that anymore. It was costly and it just kept getting more costly, which is why in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, they built the studio in Fox studios in Sydney to move away because it was far cheaper to build a whole studio in somewhere else, sunny. than it was just keep going filming around LA and Vancouver. That's why Vancouver got, got, is so big now because LA is just too costly. If you don't need it to look like LA, uh, like iconic parts of LA, it's far, far cheaper to film in Vancouver and then do um, indoor sets or do small sh- location shoots in LA for like 
the observatory, which is something they use all the time and stuff like that, because you can't really fake that. It's too iconic and it's more expensive to fake it than to actually just rent it out. But yeah, it's uh, a week. That's I've heard of them finishing effect shots these days, like days before release or final edits, like days before release. But actually, still filming? No. Well, I well, no just, chance. It wasn't. The film was finished a week before theatrical release, so I don't know yeah. but the the specifics. But yeah, the movie was not finished a week out from theatrical release. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Okay, so I've talked a little bit about well how the film was received. Arnie at the time thought the script was one of the best that he ever read. He especially liked all the elements of comedy, action, drama, and satire. He's not wrong. And again, I go back to say, it's the third time I'll say it now, ahead of its time. He's absolutely not wrong. The right director, the right star, he had all the elements. He he had everything going for it. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. He had a talking cartoon cat. He had so many... (laughs) Wacky elements. I always remember the scene where Slater falls in the tar pit and then he gets yeah. and he just wipes the tar off his clothes. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And then he says, it's like, you know, tar sticks to some people. <laughs> it's oh, a line in the movie. It's great. Because yeah. it is ridiculous. It really like, is. I mean, unfortunately, Arnie considered this movie his first real failure after. Um, unbroken string of success. I mean, he went from hit mm. after hit after hit. He also considered this film the beginning of the end of his movie career. I mean, he later moved away from acting, moved into politics. He was the governor. He's back acting again now. But yeah, it's it's a shame that again that this movie should have worked. It really should have, and in his found success years later. But it should have worked, and for him to have viewed as a failure it's disappointing yeah and it's there's so much so much stuff here like the the showing of how clean the the jack slater world la is and then they step out of the film into not you know modern day new york and it's filthy yeah, yeah. and it's dark and people are yelling and screaming and that's that's some of my favorite stuff is uh Mr. Benedict sees two guys having just shot someone run off like hey take his shoes and he walks over he's like take his shoes like what villain just take rob someone for their sneakers like that's ridiculous and he's ready to run off himself and then he stops when he notices no one panicking no sirens well, yeah then he stops and he's waiting and he's waiting for sirens, which leads to <laughs> cold-blooded but a hilarious scene where he's like, he just walks over to that guy working on his car. He's like, would you, excuse me, sir, because he's all polite and he's, well, uh, I could I have you help me test a theory. So he just guns the guy down and looks around and you see him checking, like, it'll take about 12 seconds for cops to rock up. Nothing. So he shoots again. No one reacts. And then he just starts the shouting, Hello, anybody? I've just shot a man. 
I'm racked with guilt and I wish to confess nothing. And nothing. then when he screams it again, someone's like, hey, shut up. Like, and it's when he's like cottoned on, like, wow, this world, I can be mad and ridiculously successful because no one cares. Yeah. It's like no altruism or anything. Like, yeah, the cops are in, like, obviously aren't doing their job because they haven't rocked up already. I can't even admit to people I've done something wrong because no one cares. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many brilliant things. The He gets out of the tar pit and his daughter rocks up with a fresh wardrobe. And he's like, that's not convenient <laughs> yeah. to you? <laughs> yeah. And like all this stuff. Like the, the Los Angeles Police Department is clearly in like a hotel lobby. And he's like, I was just at a police department. It wasn't this nice. And Humphrey Bogart in black and white is one of the police <laughs> guys. <laughs> like, and there's like future cop, and there's like, yeah, there's like different era ties, like some looking like 80s retro futuristic, and some look oh, very weird fashion. Clothes. Yeah, it's, all of it's in the same department, and everything else is bonkers. And, it really yeah. is. You mentioned his daughter, Whitney Slater, played by. Bridget Wilson, this was her first film role. Oh, so this is before Billy Madison. Where she played Veronica Vaughan. Great film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's a Billy Madison, I think, oh, was that 94? That was early 90s. Oh, no, maybe 95. Yeah. And then a couple yeah. of years later, she did Mortal Kombat. But yeah, but this film, this was her first film. Yeah, so, which is funny because they make that point in the movie, like, Oh, and I suppose she was in some other thing. And he's like, no, this is her first movie. Like, the, they're making the, all the references in the yeah. movie. It's oh, so clever. It really is. It um, really is. You know, we yeah. mentioned, uh, you know, Danny a couple of times, Austin O'Brien. I've got to be honest. I don't know anything else he's done. And I've never looked it up. And I don't want to know. I just yeah. like to know him as Danny Madigan in this film. Yeah, because. There are a lot of, if Murray Abraham's in this film, there are big names in this movie. There is, yeah. Um, not just as characters, but as like Danny DeVito doing a voice of a cartoon cat. Like, yeah, that, like, that actually makes more sense today than it did at the time. You know, I'm pretty sure he's uncredited as well as the voice of the cat. But you know what? Not what? There's nobody that doesn't know that's Danny DeVito. I mean, yeah. he's got such a distinctive voice. Like straight yeah, away, and they had done twins by this point. Well, I was going to say that's their connection because you'll find there is everybody has got a connection. Like, I mean, we could, we could talk about actually, no, let's just talk about Danny a little bit more and, and then we'll move into all the all the cameos. This kid's great, he's so good. I mean, age wise, he's supposed to be 10 in the film. I guess the actor was a little bit older, but plays yeah. the part so well because he's you. He's the audience. And that's the yeah. thing that tonally, that this is different. You mentioned that scene with uh, Mr. Bennett, you know, gunning down that guy in the real world. But a lot of it is like through the eyes of a child and experiencing cinema. And it's just him and his mum. And, you know, he, you do get that he views Slater as a bit of a father figure. You know, he's a big fan of his films and he gets to meet him. But, you, you know, wide-eyed kid looking at the world and that's, how you're introduced to this world and these characters. So, yeah, I really like the character. And that's why I just want to know O'Brien from this film. 
I don't want to know that yeah. he did like an episode of CSI or whatever, like when he was a grown up. Yeah. He's this yeah, kid. Which there's a very good chance because like everyone does an episode of one of the CSIs. Yeah, he probably law and order. <laughs> you know, whenever you're looking at, you know, who was cast in a role, you always come across all the other names of actors that either read for it or the studio wanted. Macaulay Culkin was in mind for Danny. He was such a large name at the time as well. He was. I don't think you. Was he not? No, no, he still would have been. I mean, like, I mean, was come on. Not, like Home Alone. Yeah. Home Alone was 1990. I think 92 would have been lost in New York. So this is all like yeah. a year later. So this is like Macaulay Culkin is big at this time, but that would have been a mistake because this is Arnie's film. And if all of a yeah. sudden it's Arnie and the kid from Home Alone, it's a different thing. So I think it worked. Yeah better having i don't want to say austin o'brien was an unknown but i still don't know him from anything but it, yeah. it just keeps the focus on arnie is jack slater and then you again you're in awe of slater from his perspective yeah and he and his uh savviness to the way movie structures are like you know before he jumps into the movie he's watching and he's like you know, the explosion happens at his favorite second cousin's house. And he's like, <laughs> Jack's fine. May, my, minor injury. Both officers dead. Because he understands how it, the structure all works. And like, um, don't, don't worry about it, Jack. This is a great idea. I mean, you have great buddy cop uh, uh, chemistry. You'll teach me to be a man and I'll teach you your sensitive side. Like, he understands like buddy cop dynamics yeah. and that he, it would work, <laughs> which is what exactly what it does. He I mean, yeah, that's the film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly like, what happens. Explaining it like in the movie. You know, I just, yeah. um, I, I love that relative, Jack's second cousin. Yeah, second, oh, second favorite cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they've already killed off, obviously, his son in Jack's later three. Right. Uh, and they must have uh, already his father or someone else in previous movies. So by the fourth one, people who mean something to him have like gone down the line. Like he's already lost his favorite partner. He's probably already <laughs> lost his like dad. He's lost his son. What more can you take off him? And the closest is his second favorite cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and he was played by Art Carney. And this ended up being his final film role. Hmm. So there you go. I didn't do he any went up other... with that house. <laughs> well, well, that's it. <laughs> you know, on that, the explosion of that house was the one from Last Boy Scout in '91. It was the same shot. Oh, he used that it again. My mind. Yeah, that's it's the same shot. My mind. Yeah. Both films written by Shane Black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, I've wow. seen that before. In I think Mars Attacks do it. I'm pretty sure they reuse a building blowing up. Maybe it's Big Ben, but I'm pretty sure they did that where they've just repurposed or reused a special effect from, from something else. Going back yeah. to the real world, we've got Nick, the projectionist. He's the older guy, the friend to Danny. So that's Nick played by Robert Prosky. This is something I never knew until today. Nick was originally going to turn out to be the devil. What? But this was nixed by the producers 
Old Nick is apparently British slang for the devil. So that would have been like an extra reveal on top of all the fantasy elements. But what's interesting, in the closing act, Nick begins to tell Danny about the time he saw the Buffalo Bill Wild West show as a kid. Assuming he saw one of Bill's last shows, it would make him about 90 years old. So maybe that's leaning into maybe there's something else going on with with Nick, but he played the kindly old man. Yeah, well. and, and he was the uh, the film with the the male Elvira from Gremlins Two. Ah, that's true. Yeah, it, that's a good he, comparison. He always had, he's always had such a like warm uh, charisma, like. And all the films I've seen him in, like just to, to then suddenly be like, and he's the devil. Yeah, I think it would have actually ruined the film. I think it yeah, would have like, been... been such a left turn. You'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. It'd have been like one element too many. It's like, settle down. You're already doing so much. <laughs> you don't yeah, also, need to have the he devil. He has him go to school because he feels guilty. Like, wouldn't the devil be like, yeah, yeah, watch another showing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll set it back up. You want to see it again? Like, I just, yeah, it just seems odd. Like, well, again, the producers meant- didn't didn't like it, so they didn't do it. We've got Tom Noonan as the Ripper, the main antagonist of Jack Slater 3, and himself, the actor who plays the Ripper. So we'll get to that a bit later on. That's when you get all the cameos. Noonan yeah. playing a serial killer called the Ripper, maybe a nod to Noonan playing a serial killer, the Tooth Fairy in Manhunter that came out in 86. Oh wow! Also, his like his prosthetics to make him look like the Ripper, um, always had uh, maybe it's the long hair as well. Somehow, my brain could always go to like ah, uh, there was an actor like famous at the time with the bold thingness and long like dark hair, always played villains. I'm like. And my brain just can like it's the same guy, it's uh, the same guy, yeah. but it's not. I can't remember him off the top of my head. Um, it's but... a weird hairstyle, isn't it? It's like it's it's like the Jean Luc Picard horseshoe, but yeah, long hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a couple of people in this movie have it as well. Like on the back of the uh, the chase at the start, and that that pickup truck chasing him. There's like three guys with the uh-huh. same hair. <laughs> One of them is Ron Howard's brother. Oh, of course. Um, you're talking, is it Clive? Clyde? Oh, no, who is it? Oh, who is From, it? From uh, Apollo 13. It will kill He's you in now. so many things. Yeah, Clint, uh, yeah, and one of them's... It's Clint yeah, Howard. There we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, and one of them's uh, one of the terrorists, the Asian terrorist from uh, Die Hard 1. And? Who steals the candy bars. <laughs> Big Trouble and Little China. Yeah. Like, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's yeah. such great stuff. I mean, he was he was his things. Yeah, this it's layered with all the people they choose to use. Um, it's so it it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, the main gangster Vivaldi, uh, Mister Benedict's boss until he, uh, cottons onto what's going on. But that's played by Anthony Quinn, um, whose son is an actor. Oh God, Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn, yeah. 
Am I right in thinking Anthony Quinn, wasn't he Zeus in Hercules, the legendary journeys, or was that a... He was, no. Yeah, right. that was it. Yeah, it was him, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's yeah, he's good at this. So we need we need to go back to um, the Ripper because we've got a really good dialogue exchange. When Jack kills the Ripper, the Ripper says, "I'll be back." To which Jack replies, "The hell you will." The line, "I'll be back," <laughs> of course, that's Arnie. Ever since the yeah. Terminator in '84, but it's so good. Somebody says it to Arnie in his response, "The hell you will." It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and there's so many like clever little things. Um, when they were in that video store in Jack's world, uh, he keeps pointing out like the girl working behind the counter is too hot to be to be working there. Yeah, and then when they go outside, he's like, "Look at all these women! Like, where are the normal-looking people? All of these women are far too attractive to like. There has to be one." normie and he's like this isn't another planet it's hollywood this is la i'm like yeah but that's again that's that interior logic of like movies of the time planet hollywood yeah and even the background characters were always like other actors on um stuff like that yeah the layering in this movie uh well the the video store clerk was played by angie everhart and then you uh, and you also see her again during the premiere of Jack Slater 4 in the real world. But let's go back to the video store. Sylvester Stallone as Terminator on the poster promoting Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always loved that. Of course, that's referring to Arnie's friendly rivalry with Stallone. I've always loved that. Yeah. Like it's if you if you Google image search last action hero, you're gonna see that image. Like it's one yeah. of the more popular images from the film, and it's just genius. It was such yeah. a fun prop. Yeah, yeah. I, if if anyone has that in the real world, like it, uh, when that left the set, I bet that's worth big money. Oh, of course it would be. Yeah. I mean, okay, let, let's talk cameos then, because that's that's Stallone without Stallone actually being in it as an actor. But I mean, again, an amazing prop. Tina Turner appears at the climax of Jack Slater 3 as the mayor of Los Angeles. She's in there. And then you're thinking, okay, but what's the action film connection? Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. (laughs) So I I love that. Okay, but what's the connection? I mean, the opening of the movie, you've got Sharon Stone and Robert Patrick appearing outside the front door of the LAPD. She is Catherine Trammell from Basic Instinct, and he is the T-1000 from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. So, Okay, so yeah, you've got the Terminator connection. Sharon Stone, Basic Instinct character, but she was with Arnie in Total Recall. So it's fine, like, you know, as you're watching, you're thinking, okay, but what's this mean? And who's that? And why are they here? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, so much fun. Yeah, there's the, the line with Humphrey Bogart. You know, they're handing out um, assignments, and they're like, "Hey, you're with the black and white," because that's what they call the cars are black and whites. Yeah, like that's like that's actual police lingo, but the black and white happens to be a black and white character. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Oh, Ian McKellen is in this film as Death. 
emerging yeah. via the ticket stubs magic. But do you know what? Of course, Nick could have been the devil. We've got magic movie tickets. We've got Ian McKellen portraying death, yes, from a film. But who's to say the devil couldn't have come from a film? But anyway. And Mick- he gave the ticket to Danny. There we go. Yeah, to keep. There's, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there is something to it. But Ian McKellen. He's he's so good in this. Like it's, yeah, it's such and again delivery. Like, absolutely. Like there's so many different contrasts. Like again, from Diane DeVito's whiskers to Ian McKellen's death. This is the same film. It is the same yeah. film. And there's such gravitas with McKellen's yeah. performance. <laughs> yeah. And I've always loved that uh that Hamlet thought oh. the start where he oh. fades off in class. <laughs> Arnie is Hamlet. There'll be or not to be. Oh, not to be an explosion. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, what about the police captain? I mean, yeah. that's one of the best tropes of cop movies. The yeah. captain who's shouting, only in this one, he's shouting that much. It gets to the point where his ears are steaming or smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and his words are unintelligible, uh, and he's always taking his badge. <laughs> always. Well, you see, yeah, his words are. Yeah, for the most part, you can't make out what he's saying, except for what he very clearly says at one point, the diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> Everything else is gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Why is that a thing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and even yeah, Jack Slater's like, do you make any of that? And Danny's like, nah. Like, and, <laughs> you're not the only one who's being yelled at. And that's Frank McRae as Lieutenant Decker. Ah, oh, he's he's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this looks yeah, this movie. Um all the layering, all the intelligent things, even before he uses the ticket for the first time, uh Benedict starts doing a monologue of like his like like he's talking to the audience about like if we can never win here what's to say what would happen in the other world like he's talking to the audience as a villain from the villain's perspective like he's breaking the fourth wall before he's actually even stepped out of the movie i'm like holy crap this is the first this watching is the first time i noticed that that he was actually addressing the audience it's all so well it's so so (laughs) clever yeah, oh. it, it is. You know, the, the merchandising is interesting for this film. And do you know what? I had a Jack Slater action figure. Yeah. <laughs> that is the thing that I had. It is, yeah. I'm sure it's not the only Arnie. I must add like a Terminator toy. But yeah, Jack Slater had the action figure. The merchandising people came up with some Slater action figures with guns. Arnie vetoed the idea because this movie was a warmer, more cuddly action movie. Merchandising included seven video games, a $20 million Burger King promotion, a $36 million theme park ride, NASA's first paid ad in space, and a four-story inflatable Jack Slater at the Cannes Film Festival. Arnie gave... 40 TV interviews and 54 print interviews in 24 hours, setting a new personal record. 
I mean, he was all in. First time producer. And he was, again, loved the script. He was back in this film. Wow. Yeah. Again, like he, he just wasn't received at the time, but they put so much effort into it and just tonally, like at times, it's like a live action cartoon. Many of the props in Jack Slater 4 are made by the fictional company Acme. Acme is known for appearing in the Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. So I always yeah, thought that yeah. was pretty cool. And I've got a number here body count. How many deaths? How many deaths do you think there are in this film? They mentioned 48 at the premiere for Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is like the entire film, though. All together. I guess that's including what Danny's experiencing with Jack, the, the films that are being shown. 83. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> 83. Yeah. Very, very big number. You know, something that I've always loved about this film as well, the score and Michael Kamen back then. I mean, now everyone's like Hans Zimmer, like for action film and, well, for more than just action, but Zimmer is a lot of people's go-to. But back then, though, Kamen worked on Die Hard, X-Men, Lethal Weapon, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Three Musketeers and the James Bond film License to Kill. Yeah, he was he was a busy guy. And that that like guitar riff, the like Jack Slater riff, like yeah. like it's iconic and you instantly know like it signifies what the things are happening, things about to go down, and you're in there. It's the little lick, it's what emotionally anchors so you. So good, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, it, it plays so well i mean at times cheesy and over the top but that's the film but what you were yeah. talking about was guitarist there it does make you think of lethal weapon and i'm pretty sure that was him and eric clapton yeah on those scores and those guys did work together a lot i mean just looking beyond the films that i just mentioned other scores that came and worked on highlander the iron giant frequency memento i mean the list just goes on and on and on. And beyond the score, ACDC, they had an original song for the film, Big Gun, that was written for the film after Arnie personally approached the group and asked them to write a song for it. So again, it just goes to show like where where their head was at or their heads were at even. Like they were thinking yeah. big for this film. And, and yeah, absolutely. Again, it's um Disappointing where it ended at the time, but we clearly really like this film. So at least we've been able to enjoy it all these years. Yeah. You know, there has been talks of a potential sequel, but not since October 2019. At the time, Arnie revealed that he was willing to star in True Lies 2 and Last Action Hero 2, possible legacy sequels to the two films of his 90s action roles. I mean, if it ever happens, I mean, I don't think it will. I would like it if it was to happen. I'd be interested to see what that could be. But what I really like about that, though, is he's still flying the flag for this movie. Like, of any of his films that he do a sequel to, like the fact that he's calling this one out, I mean, True Lies is a Stone Cold classic. I don't know anybody yeah. that doesn't like that film. But for him to 
referenced this as one of two films he would be willing to do a sequel to. Pretty cool. Yeah, and this is the era we've managed to, this has managed to work. Maverick, famously earlier on this year, destroyed the box office. Oh, yeah. Huge. Uh, um, We've had the Halloween trilogy, uh, the last one, which is a bit less less said the better, but even kills though. Yeah, Kills wasn't as good as the 2018 film, and then ends. Yeah. But you, you rally it to your point. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. coming back. Yeah, um, and getting these old franchises like with Creed. No one, yeah, everyone would have thought Rocky was done, and then Ryan Coogler comes with Creed, and you're like, oh, of course, of course, you could carry on like this. Yeah. So it, I don't think we'll ever say you know never say never we're getting a constantine sequel which ironically we oh, talked about I, months ago i can't I, I still can't believe i still can't believe keanu reeves is going to be back as john constantine unbelievable yeah yeah uh, and it happened after we record the podcast oh, we just no. did it because it was a good movie and then it gets announced and i'm like wait what no but we already <laughs> talked about that that can't be that can't be fact yeah. but yeah so i never say never um, I think if anything was going to stop it, I mean, I could, I could see this being made specifically for streaming. Oh, um, yeah. Which is a it shame, have, but have, that's yeah. where I, I could see them when, what, taking the risk. Because... I mean, do you know what? I was going to say financially they'd have to scale back, but would they though? I mean, look how much they spend. I mean, they do this, what, a TV movie, but look what they spend mm. on TV series. Yeah, and even the uh, string films, like... Uh, Gray Man for Netflix. I mean, you had the Russo brothers directing. You had Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans oh. and Anna Diab. You had such a talented cast for that. Um, a globe-trotting story as well. Uh, the Knives Out sequel was picked up by Netflix, and that's got a massive ensemble cast and like you know uh, set shots and that sort of thing. So I don't think they'd have to scale back the budget. No, I mean, I, I changed my mind. You'd that. have considered yeah. this point, but. That's where I could see the risk being absorbed by like a uh, an Amazon or Paramount or someone like that um, to actually get it off the ground. The only reason I say that rather than it getting a cinema run is because unfortunately anything attached with Arnie attached recently has underperformed at the box office. Um, most of them are Terminator sequels, let's be honest. Yeah, and uh, that franchise needs to go on the shelf for a number of very years long time. They'd bother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need to you need to pray that one, yeah. like they did with the Predator. Um, and Aliens needs the same treatment. Like you've made now, kind of put that in the hole. That needs to go on the shelf and then properly rethought before you take it back off the shelf again. But I mean, because he's another one he's talked about for a long time is King Conan. Yeah, uh, the sequel yeah. to Conan the Barbarian, where you actually see him as the old king uh, of uh, Conan the Barbarian. I mean, do you know what they they were doing it? Uh, yeah, they were doing it at one point. I think I've even seen an image of him as King Conan looking older on a throne. I'm pretty sure that's out there. Yeah, um, and you know, like, you could there are actors around that you could convincingly uh, we convince an audience. Are uh, his like heirs, whether women 
uh, uh, like daughters or granddaughters or sons. Like superhero movies have proven there's enough people who can get into the sort of shape that you could be like, oh yeah, I can, I can conceivably see that that's like related to that person. Yeah. Um, but whether that gets off the ground, but I would love to see this done in a modern telling um, with uh, breaking down a genre uh, and communicating that to the audience uh, like works. I mean, yeah. we've seen it on um, the Chip and Dale movie. Oh, like which was great. This year. Uh, and anything that's fourth wall breaking, even She-Hulk that season, um, uh, when their final episode, kind of really got you in like that not with the critique i think this is done because this is done with love um as the chip and dale one is like yeah. the inside which this movie does with that inside logic of that world like jack always shooting his own closet door because there's always a guy in there because that happened <laughs> in the, yes. the one of the prequel movies yeah, yeah, yeah. in jack's later too yeah. you're like yeah these little internal logics they build for their world that, that have been extrapolated out. This is the time with fans of of not just the genres, but the uh, the characters and like what would it what would that what you know that that those thought might uh, uh, those thoughts we've all had were exercises where we stretched out like. Well, if that character was now around today and this happened, this happened, you kind of draw your timeline, like where would they be now? Yeah. I'd, I'd I like think it to, would work really well. Yeah, me too. I, I, yeah, I'd really like to see it. And yeah, it'd have to be a sequel with Arnie because if they made it today, I just feel as though what they wouldn't have many choices and it wouldn't be right. Like they'd end up going to somebody like, Dwayne Johnson, I think, would be most people's obvious choice. Then you've got your Vin Diesel's. Mm. But it doesn't compare. Not no. Arnie, early 90s. Nothing would compare. So a sequel series or film would be cool. When you said Netflix, I thought, oh, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, that could be a good fit, you know, for all the points that you made. And I had a quick look. It's not currently streaming on Netflix, although it is streaming on Binge and Paramount Plus, and it always surprises me the films that turn up on Paramount Plus, like yeah. Warner Brothers. This is a Columbia Pictures movie, yet it's yeah. on Paramount Plus. Anyway, that's a whole. I, I, yeah, because I watched this on Binge here in Australia. Um, that's where I watched it. Yeah, I did a quick search and saw it was on Foxtel. I'm like, well, Foxtel, that's Binge, so I'll check Binge and boom, uh, there it was. Found easy. Yeah. Like, grab myself some snacks and settled in yeah oh man it's so good it's so good and do you know what we should actually rate it i would just talk yeah. about how good it is <laughs> but just on that what's the runtime two hours 10 minutes yeah it's a brisk watch like this movie yeah. goes by so quickly and yeah two hours yeah. 10 minutes that's your runtime there's just so much happening at all times but in a good way anyway i'll let you go first what would you rate this movie out of five I'm going to come in high. Uh, I'm going to come in at a four and a half. Like, I, my gut feels actually five for the enjoyment yeah. because I deeply appreciate what it's doing. It's the satirical nature of it. 
how well structured it is. It's like all the stuff that gets laid out throughout the movie is always paid off. Nothing's left dangling. Um, things come back around. Even your fin- uh, your finale where he's going back up against the Ripper because he's been ripped pulled out of the movie a movie and put in the real world and the setup is just like the finale in Ripper 3 but it's in the modern world in the actual real world like it all perfectly works and it pays off better because he's smarter from learning the rules like uh all of this like the kid the everyone gets their character journey you see multiple times Danny uh like he gets robbed at the start of the movie and he has a chance to like stand up for himself and doesn't. And that happens a couple of times in the movie. And then in the end, he actually gets to, st- to actually do the heroic act. Everything gets paid off. Um, yeah. Four out of five um, music. The, the one-liners, there's so many great one-liners. <laughs> there really is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh no, like, so many. He's <laughs> yeah, such a quotable uh, yeah. movie. Yeah, it is. It really is. One, I some of them I quote all of the time. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, how about yourself? I will, in terms of rating. I mean, for what like, I'm going to say, like you know, we, we don't know how we feel about something before we review it. So, yeah, I had no idea how much <laughs> you loved this movie before asking if you want to talk about it on the. On the podcast, just to clarify, though, was that a four point five or yeah, four, yeah, four point five, yeah, out of five? Before I give my rating, I feel as though we did name check a lot of the cameos, but now I'm looking down. There's a couple that we didn't actually mention: Jim Belushi, who yeah. starred with Arnie in Red Heat and later Jingle All the Way; Damon Wayans, that's your last Boy Scout connection with. Shane Black, Chevy yeah. Chase, he's in there. Yep. Um, yeah. I've got no action film link for him, but he's he's there. Jean-Claude Van Damme, who worked with John McTiernan on Predator as the original Predator. Yeah, that's right. Dropping out. Yeah, that was a, that was a was whole a big thing. Di- alien lizard thing. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, they came up with that better design. But at one time, yeah, Van Damme was going to be in predator he later co-starred with arnie in the expendables 2 where yeah. van damme's got that incredible name villain yeah and that showdown <laughs> so between him and stallone and just stallone just yelling villain oh man honestly <laughs> expendables 2 i love it so much i just feel as though it delivered on the promise that we that we said we were going to get from the first Expendables. Anyway, so yeah. we've got Van Damme in this movie. MC Hammer, yeah, Lee, yeah, MC, MC Hammer. Hammer. He, he put, uh, oh. you, yeah, and he asks about the soundtrack for the next movie. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He asked Slater about a deal to do the Jack Slater Five soundtrack because that's Slater. He thinks it's Arnie. It's a whole thing. Oh man, we we could just like. Talk yeah. about this movie for hours, yeah. I feel. Yeah, Lisa Gibbons, because she worked for E! Entertainment at the time, and they were always the ones inter- uh, interviewing people at premieres. She plays herself, interviewing all the guests as they rock up to the premiere. Oh, man, let's just keep it going. Maria Shriver, yeah. at the yeah, time, she was, <laughs> <laughs> she was married to him. 
Little Richard. I mean, we can, <laughs> there is so many, so many people in this movie. But um, okay, if I'm going to rate it out of five, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like you. I'm so close to to a five. It's it's unreal. But I was kind of thinking you would have given me the confidence <laughs> to give this <laughs> five out of five, but I'm happy with a 4.5 out of five. It, it, it's such a high score, but it's just, it's the nostalgia, it's the love. And again, it's it's a movie that just, it, you get something new from it. As recent as the other night when I was watching it, there's just so much to enjoy about this film. And it's Arnie on top form. This is great, Arnie. He's so good as Jack Slater. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. I love this yeah. film. The the jokes, the action, the score. Oh, so close to a five. I don't even know why yeah. I'm not doing it a five, to be honest, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm yeah. trying to not get too carried away. So I feel as if, yeah. if we're both to give this movie five out of five, last action hero. A lot of people will be like, what are you talking about? But it's a great yeah, film. We we'll love it, and that's it, okay. It is. And uh, one of the little, other little quirks I love talking about the score, uh, when they start checking the print for Jack Slater 4, the credits song is by Megadeth. Like, it's such a <laughs> like perfect like encapsulation yeah. of like action movies at the time. I'm like, oh, everything that they did, every little stroke was like, obviously purposeful like you said with the acdc it, none of it why they're in the chase sequence and he first lands into the movie you see uh jack slater change the music track physically in his car because that's the internal like logic of his universe <laughs> if the music playing's coming from somewhere and for that that's him because that's his style of music mid police chase like mid shootout like i love it it's so smart do you know what? If if you're listening to this and it's been a while since you've watched Last Action Hero, watch it again. Because yeah. if it's a film that you watched years ago and you've not revisited it lately, give it a rewatch. It is definitely worth watching. I can't remember the last time we reviewed something and just couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. Because absolutely. Yeah. It's over. The episode is over. We reviewed it, but we're still <laughs> we're still going. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is, which at which is what lost it a half mark for me, is the special effects is the only thing that's dated, and not so much that they they look cheap. They're just not blended as well because of the error. That's all they could accomplish because these are like rotoscoped effects. These are not computer effects, and that's that's the only real place it lost a half mark for me. It's a valid point, and I'm glad that you've added it for that reason, but we really need to wrap things up. We just yep. <laughs> keep going. That's it for our episode all about Last Action Hero. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>